welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Thanks so much, Bill and Nikki. Hi, everybody. Uh, Today, I just want to share a few thoughts with you from the book of Acts about the single most important thing in any of our lives. I want to talk about relationships. Let's be honest. We may be surviving in isolation, but none of us is thriving. We know, don't we, that human beings are built for friendship, for interaction, for, uh, for community, for fellowship. It's just going to be so wonderful when we finally get back to safely meeting together, laughing, hugging, worshipping, breaking bread, sharing meals in one another's homes. I don't know if you've um, come across that new TV series, Normal People. Uh, I definitely would say it's not for the faint-hearted. I'm not endorsing it or encouraging you to necessarily watch it. But it has become an absolute sensation. It's attracting audiences of about 21.8 million people, especially under 34s. And yet it's really just a very, very simple story about love and friendship, about brokenness and intimacy, about vulnerability and understanding. It seems like the whole world is looking for real relationships, deeper connection, just to know and be known. Now, this is the second in our This Is Us series, exploring the book of Acts. And we're looking at Acts for three reasons. Firstly, because wonderfully, we've got many people who are new to church, new to faith, and just trying to work out what's it all about. Secondly, because lockdown has, I think, taken us all back to the basics. It's reminded us once again that church began in homes, it belongs in normal life, and it flourishes in family. And thirdly, this is just a moment of enormous growth and fresh opportunity. We're running the biggest alpha we've ever launched, over 100 people. Our church attendance here online has more than doubled. Nationally, one in four people are now attending an online church service. That UK blessing song that we helped premiere three weeks ago has had almost three million views uh, in those three weeks. Last week on Sunday morning, Zoom crashed and someone joked that the church had broken the internet. At a time like this, the early church, I think, has got an awful lot to teach us about how to pray, play and obey in a moment of accelerated change and unexpected favour. So I want us to look together at Acts, at Acts 2, 42 to 47. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love these verses. They are just completely inspiring. And yet they're also deeply challenging. 
They're inspiring to me because of the way the early church just lived with incredible passion and vision and kind of contagious joy. They shared everything they owned and eliminated poverty. They're in and out of each other's homes and they must have extinguished loneliness, I guess. They were praying expectantly and continually. They seem to have been ravenously hungry to learn. They shared communion together as part of ordinary life, reeling again and again as they did so, I imagine, at just the wonder of it all, the treasure of Jesus Christ who's died for them and risen again and given them away to the Father. They are totally uncynical. They are fully alive. No wonder new people were joining them daily. I've, I think you can still feel kind of the crackle of electricity down all the years, the excitement of what was happening at this moment in Jerusalem. And of course, within a few generations, that overwhelmed the Roman Empire. Something really deep within me says, I want to do this. I want to live like this. I'm sick and tired of middle class, middle aged, middle of the road mediocrity. I want to give my life to something beautiful and hopeful and transformational like this. And so that's why we called this series on the book of Acts, This Is Us. We're saying their DNA is our DNA. Their way is our way. Their God is our God. And the wonderful thing for us in Emmaus is that because we're part of the ancient free church tradition, we don't have any red tape. There's just literally nothing stopping us reading the book and just doing what they did. We don't have to obey antiquated religious rules. We don't have to play politics with denominational bureaucrats. We can literally just pick up the Bible and say, this is going to be our roadmap. Their vision is our vision. This is us. So, yes, I find the early church utterly inspiring, but also, as I said, deeply personally challenging in the radical way they handled money in the relentless way that they prayed in the revolutionary way they built relationships I want to just think about a couple of the ways in which their relationships were revolutionary and I want your permission to be really quite challenging uh, this matters too much to play games the first thing I see here in their sort of DNA is an incredible depth of relationship they were meeting daily in the temple, daily, to pray and in one another's homes to eat. They were including rich and poor, different cultures, different age groups all together. You know, Mori did a poll of more than 4,000 adults in 2014 and found out that churches are the most socially and culturally diverse communities in the UK. That's exactly as it should be. If all of our friends are exactly like us, we are missing out on true Christian fellowship. The great American theologian Stanley Harvass says the most creative social strategy we have to offer society is the church. Here we show the world a manner of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. We serve the world, he says, by showing it something that it is not, namely a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. I love that, a family out of strangers. Can I be honest? Sometimes our collectives are too successful. 
They become so enjoyable and comfortable. No one wants to leave. No one wants to multiply. They sort of pull up the drawbridge and say, we're full. I really understand that, but it's not the kingdom. We're here for the lost. We're here for people who are not yet part of us. We're here for growth. Imagine the disruption of new people being added to you daily as it was for the early church. New people at their meetings, new people at their meal tables. Archbishop uh, William Temple once said, the church is the only society on earth that benefits, uh, that exists for the benefit of its non-members. So we're called to be flexible and hospitable and sacrificial. I find in my own life, it's really easy, I think particularly as a man, to become a bit complacent and comfortable and shallow in my friendships. But the Bible challenges that. How honest am I in my friendships? How kind? Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. How encouraging and challenging am I in my relationships? Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us stir one another up towards love and good deeds. How vulnerable am I? Do I ask for help? James 5, verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Is there someone from maybe a very, very different background or with a very different set of views from my own that I could reach out to? build a bridge with this week. In our testimony video this week, which I'm just about to play you, we asked members of Emmaus to tell us about the person who showed them Jesus. And what you're about to see are brilliant examples of those who have built the kind of revolutionary relationships that change lives in wonderful ways. So this is always one of my favourite bits of the service. Sit back and take a look at this. person I want to thank for showing me Jesus is my friend Fiona. She was the first person to disciple me and she's loved me and accepted me and guided me unconditionally all through the years. The person I want to thank for showing me Jesus is my wife Catherine. She experienced the transformative power of Jesus in her own life and didn't give up until I had experienced it in mine. The people who I want to thank for showing me Jesus are my youth leaders, Jazz, Pete and Job. They've helped me grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus and I've had so much fun with them at youth and collectives. The people I want to thank for introducing me to Jesus are Katie and Rick Elson, who took me along to a mass evening service which just blew me away and now I'm a regular attendant at mass and they're just one big amazing family. Thank you and be safe. The person I want to thank for showing me Jesus is my mum because we do devotional times with her every day and we learn how Jesus loves us and he'll never let go of us. The person I want to thank for showing me Jesus is my mum. When I was six years old, she um, had a lovely little book that helped to show me what Christianity was all about. I committed my life to Jesus then and throughout my life, she was taking me to church, um, to Sunday school, lots of youth events. The couple I'd like to thank for showing me Jesus are John and Joe Schultz, because they've been very good at encouraging me and have believed in me for many years. They were also the first to comfort my wife and I when we went through a family crisis and have always been willing to offer practical help. The people who show me Jesus are Sam and the kids group because every Sunday they take time off to help us learn about Jesus and I made a lighthouse a few weeks ago 
and I have this beside my bed and it helps me to remember Jesus. The person I want to thank for showing me Jesus is my mum because she used to call me every Saturday to check that I would be going to church on Sunday which was very irritating and annoying because I didn't want to go to church. Anyway, the only way to make these phone calls stop was to start going. So I went and from then on I loved it. My whole life changed quite dramatically. The person I want to thank for showing me Jesus is a little girl I got to know at Wildfires two years ago where I volunteered in the children program because she shared a word with me saying that God loves me very much. That day, the children were encouraged to draw or write down any pictures or words from the Lord and then pray and ask God about who to give it to to bless them. I encouraged this girl to pray and ask Father God who to give it to and she gave it to me. I asked her a few times to make sure she really wanted to give it to me. Later that day, I found out that my grandfather passed away after being quite frail for some time. I then realised the word that this little girl shared with me was so timely. The person that I would like to thank for showing me Jesus is Mike Andrea, who was my youth pastor. He now leads Global Generation Church and 24-7 Prayer. And uh, he taught me what it is to forgive. He taught me what it is to have life with Holy Spirit. And he taught me what it is to give myself for something significant. Wasn't that brilliant? I love what Josh said there, that Mike Andrea taught him how to forgive and inspired him how to give his life for something bigger than himself. I loved what um, Glenda said about, I think it was Fiona, who she said discipled her as a new Christian and guided and accepted her, listen, unconditionally. That's real love, isn't it? It's a deeper kind of relationship than one that just hangs out. You know, I believe it's the kind of relationship that the early church must have nurtured, where they met daily, they broke bread regularly, they worshipped, they prayed, they ate together in a way that changed the world really quite quickly. So their relationships were deep, but their, fr their friendships were also incredibly focused. Those first Christians weren't just kind of a club with a committed membership. It wasn't like a brilliant golf club had sprung up in Jerusalem. They were passionate and highly intentional. Their friendships weren't just casual and comfortable. They met together daily to pray. They were in and out of each other's homes to break bread. They shared their possessions radically. They, we, we're told they devoted themselves. That's a very strong word in the Greek. Devoted themselves, proskaterio, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The very first evidence, therefore, of the Spirit's presence in the early church is a startling new attitude and it's a ravenous hunger for what they call the apostles' teaching and a revolutionary commitment to relationships with other Christians. Conversely, I know in my own life, one of the first signs of spiritual stagnation is the exact reverse of those two things. Instead of desiring Christian teaching and the Bible, I become a bit bored and jaded and cynical. 
Instead of devoting myself to fellowship with other Christians, I find myself more enamored with my non-Christian friends than my brothers and sisters in Christ. I start saying things like, oh, the problem with the church is, instead of the problem with us is. So we in Emmaus want to be devoted, committed to discipleship. That's why we're in collectives. And by the way, we've got a really exciting new development to tell you about in the realm of discipleship in the next few weeks. We're also devoted and committed to social transformation, the redistribution of wealth. That's why the whole church is getting behind this brilliant Love Your Neighbour movement. We're also committed as a church to sharing the good news of Jesus, like the early church. That's why we take the risk and invite our friends on Alpha. And as I say, I think it's 104 people on Alpha right now. I want to finish this talk with a wonderful prayer from the Apostle Paul himself in Philippians chapter 1. Let's pray. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all. I love that. Getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let it be so. Let's take a little time now just to reflect on some of the challenges I've thrown out in this talk about revolutionary relationships. Thanks. Thanks.